Welcome back to Decentralized Radio. We are live here with Logan Duvall from Sewing Prosperity Podcast Channel. Logan, how's it going, brother? Going great, man. Super excited to be with uh, you and Ryan. Ryan, how are we doing today? Man, I'm. Are you I'm frozen? Just, I was saying I was peachy before, but I'm doing pretty good. Got the setup. Got the setup going. Um, finally using a mic. See, see, trying, giving it a hundred percent. Uh, there we no, go. I'm excited. This will be a fun conversation. So yeah, Logan is the host of the Sewing Prosperity podcast. Talks a lot about regenerative agriculture. Talks a lot about health. So we're very aligned on on that message. And maybe where 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 did you start? um logan kind of take us take our audience through this journey that you've had and where did this journey begin and how did you get to be so passionate about regenerative agriculture and and building up you know a truth a platform for truth around food and around health a platform for truth can i can i steal that tristan can that be my <laughs> tagline brother i love that oh yeah, man, I'm just a country boy from Arkansas. I grew up in a small town where the, you know, the number one industry was the pickle plant. So a lot of people know Atkins, mm-hmm. Arkansas, is Pickle City. Uh, and so when I was in school, uh, the the plant shut down, and uh, just saw kind of the demise of rural community based off the, you know, the biggest employer of the school leaving. And uh, so that was kind of my window that I saw into community. Uh, and having that negative economic impact. Um, so fast forward, uh, got a degree in petroleum technology, uh, just a technical certificate. The shale was the gas shale in Arkansas was booming at that time. It was a new program. Got that. Got into EMS because I wanted to do safety. Uh, so spent. Uh, I decided that I did not want to travel the world chasing oil and gas. So I jumped on an ambulance to figure out what I wanted to do. And so. Worked EMS for uh, about eight years, a little bit of real estate, and then my grandpa got sick. And so this is really where everything started shifting for me. But uh, my grandparents and mom and stepdad had started uh, gardening at their, their property. And people started pulling by their house and, hey, can we get stuff out of the garden? Well, you got anything for sale? And so my mom uh, said, why don't you just build a little farm stand, just sell what, what you got, you know, it'll be a month out of the year for uh, retirement money. And uh, so that, that developed actually into a full fledged uh, farmer's market, a little, little mm. farm stand. And my grandpa uh, had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That was a horrible ordeal. Started having some cardiac events uh, and then esophageal cancer after, you know, he'd gotten over the non-Hodgkin's. And when the esophageal had metastasized to the liver and, and all that, uh, it, it just it went downhill really, really fast. And he ended up passing away. The The business had kind of outgrown what my mom and grandma could, uh, you know, do. And so I, uh, I, I moved down uh, to join them about an hour away from where we're from. And trucking along, working with local farmers, growing our own stuff, just trying to figure out how do we make a little business work. And uh, then one day, had I had two kids at the time. We went home, just kind of chilling, just sitting on the couch. And my five-year-old said, hey, Dad, my pea's orange. I said, what? So he said, yeah, my pea's orange. So I went into the bathroom, and he had peed blood. And so... I thought, oh, God, I started racking the brain. Like, why in the world is he peeing an off color? Uh, so 
anyways, the next day we, we got into the uh, emergency department, Arkansas Children's Hospital, got to find out that he had cancer. So kidney cancer. And through the course of a few days, it was, uh, you know, established that he was stage four kidney cancer. And so I don't know how this little boy was out playing in the sprinkler one day, peeing blood that night. And now we're uh, being told he has stage four cancer. So that was such a gut punch that, uh, you know, a lot of things with the mentality and, and what do we do uh, came into play. But I just began to question absolutely everything and relentlessly diving into how am I going to save my baby. And uh, so, like, we can get into what, what that means or, or whatever, but that's kind of the foundation for questioning and, and where we are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really incredibly sad story but that seems to be sort of the theme that you see in these communities is that you have a loved one or maybe it's yourself um that goes through something traumatic i mean i've sort of experienced that recently within my family as well that sort of opens your eyes to how um unequipped the centralized medical system is in handling complex I mean, terminal illness or terminal illness and also like just chronic health conditions. And I was talking to my mom earlier today and it's sort of like you get to this fork in the road and maybe we can kind of talk about this next for you. But you sort of get into that fork of the road where like you have two choices. You can go down that standard line, which in your case probably would end up in death for your loved ones. Um, or like you said, you begin to question a lot of things um that you have accepted as the way it is and you realize that there's more to the story that we haven't been told um on a high level and i'd love to know like what in you was it like part of your upbringing or was it just the way you um you seem like a very very hard worker what was it that was in you to sort of not want to give up but look into an alternative way of thinking for 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 your child um, because I mean, as a parent, I can only imagine like the amount of stress that would put you under, but it's, it's easy to get lost in the fear of like, what can I do? Like, can I do anything? And then just stop there. So what kept you going and sort of kind of bring us to like where you are today with all this stuff. So the, you, there's just nothing that you love more than you get. Um, and, and it's just something that I never understood until I had kids, um, and for for some reason, I've always been very much a contrarian problem solver. I guess that's why I'm really into the entrepreneurship. It's always solving something. You've always got something going completely wrong. You're just trying to fix it or, or make it survive, you know? And uh, so we, when you have something you love so much and the most severe problem, right, that you can have is, is what you're facing, it was like, well, how do we fix it, right? Like we, And so as I started having conversations with the, uh, the oncologist, and it was so – no, just sit back. We got this. We're going to do chemo, radiation, surgery, and we got this. And it's just like that is absolutely an unacceptable answer to me. Like there, this is this doesn't make sense. Like why does he have cancer? You know, like why is cancer a thing? How is it working? How does it function? Um, and so I just started figuring out answers to those questions, and that. That, that led uh, to the very first phase that I think most people gravitate to with cancer is diet, right? Like 
start hearing uh, that food matters, right? Like food plays into this cancer situation some way, but you don't really know why. And you get so many different conflicting uh, aspects of, so, you know, meat causes cancer. That was early on, I read uh, the China study, and it terrified me, right? So right out of the gate, the very first thing we did was I pulled him off meat, right? We, we're going to go plant-based because I read the China study, and that's right, you know? And what, what I think was very beneficial about that was that we eliminated processed crap. Right. Like, so, I mean, I think that that was the first step. I think we did good by that. But uh, going into it, just started reading books. And so, like, uh, the next book, I think, was uh, Stephen Gundry's Plant Paradox. So just very, very, very eye-opening as far as understanding that hmm, plants aren't what they were all, you know, cut out to be. And then uh, the Dr. Tom Cowan, uh, he's got a, a Cancer and the New Biology of Water. It was very eye-opening. So those two books really kind of bookended what I was uh, focused on and just kept going down. Another huge, huge, huge influence on me early on was uh, Dave Asprey. And so just the, the biohacking and just looking into those fundamentals. Uh, so I think with kind of those three influences really set that foundation for solving and piecing together. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it, well. I was just gonna say one thing. It's interesting because I actually want to ask you this too. Because so my, um, my boss had stage four. Um, I think it was uh, thinoma cancer, and it was a reoccurrence. And he had already gone through chemo, gone through that whole process, had his thymus gland removed several years ago. Um, and this this was like round two, but round two this time was terminal. They didn't catch it. It spread to other areas. He had like nine tumors in his chest. Crazy stuff. And so he decided to sort of leave everything similar to you guys, look into other alternatives, found that sort of food uh, food approach. And I think his book that he references a lot is uh, the metabolic approach to cancer and stuff like that. And he too also went plant-based. I love your thoughts on like plant-based versus like ketosis in its like effectiveness for, I just, just kind of your experience with it and what you guys found like through treating um ailment with nutrition because i feel like they're like we'll, we'll get into a bunch of other stuff i'm sure but it's like you get into the weeds of like you think you found a way but there's you can see people thriving on like various different styles of eating even within the cancer community like my boss did really well on like a ketogenic vegan diet but now years after doing that like tumors suppressed and all that stuff he's seeing other problems because of like that way of eating and so it's like it becomes this sort of juggle effect of like, where do you start? Where do you end? And that's where it kind of goes beyond diet. But I just like love your thoughts on like that aspect of it, because I know you guys were leaning into that like plant-based paradigm for cancer specifically. So it also goes back to, to Asprey. Asprey in one of his uh, podcasts said something about in insulin potentiated chemotherapy. And so when I heard that, I was like, what the crap is he talking about, you know? And so started looking into trying to understand that. And the correlation between two things was very eye-opening to me. For me, is the microbiome with immunotherapies is completely dependent on what bugs are in there. And that's, you know, that's how I explain it to you know, my five-year-old. It's the good and bad bugs in the gut. The other was the chemotherapy in relation to ketosis. So the, the effectiveness of chemo in a ketogenic state or a fasting state was much more effective. Like the, their study after study after study that 
proves this. And so I think that that is a incredibly valuable uh, point. Uh, just just had Travis Christofferson on the podcast. Not out yet. So he's like the keto guy, right? Like cancer. He, he has incredible work. And so like Lander was always fasting when he got chemo on my very limited knowledge, but I think that was probably one of the most important things that we did. I did not talk to the oncologist about doing that, uh, but his, his blood sugar, because we were able to get, you know, we did blood work before every chemo, uh, was in 60 to 70 before chemo every time. Yeah, and I know you've talked to um, Laszlo as well, right? Um, and, and we know the, the effects of deuterium there for a low-carb diet could potentially be very beneficial for treating cancer and Gabor Shamalia talked about that. It's it's really fascinating to think of all the ways that you could pro you can actually treat or there's these modalities, um, you know, additional additional that you can do complementary to the standard treatment that can only augment the chances, augment the chances of recovery and side effects um, become diminished. So I guess maybe with all of your knowledge now, because just like Ryan and myself, I mean, the amount I've learned in the past one year by interviewing all these experts and people, what would you do differently or what would you do now compared to what you did um, when you were going through this a couple of years ago? Yeah, so this is, uh, Tristan, super, super relevant because I just had a mom come to me with a two-year-old that just had a relapse. Uh, this was in the last about two hours. Right. So like this is this super fresh on my mind. Um, it was a you know, it's a baby that was 14 days old, diagnosed with cancer, went through treatments, horrible. Two years later, pops up. Now the cancer's back. OK, so I, I've been trying to process this over the last few hours. Um, it, it, in, it, so Laszlo is incredible, and I think he's probably the most right on the fundamentals of what's going on with the with, with deuterium for, for many different reasons. But uh, I would absolutely preface this first by saying there's a difference between preventing cancer and treating cancer, okay? So that, that it, it's not all one bucket. If I was back in, in that, that position, first thing I would do is I would absolutely include deuterium depleted water. I don't think everybody needs deuterium depleted water. I don't think that that's, that's what everybody needs. But in that case, that would be of the utmost importance. Um, I would be on a very strict ketogenic diet with very high animal base, uh, especially ruminant meat, and understanding the difference between uh, the meats, uh, right? The, you've got to reframe the genetic aspect of cancer that's not not the best way to describe it and treat it and go from this mitochondrial aspect. And so I think the potential of the potential, I'm not saying that would, but the potential of using exogenous ketones would be up there, right? Like, so how do, how do we crank this up with clean burning fuel? I would absolutely have included uh, high dose melatonin um, for supplemental reasons. Now, I'm not saying that somebody without active cancer needs to take supplemental melatonin. Right. But somebody that has something like cancer going on, I think the proof is there. Right. So like uh, uh, Laurence is coming on tomorrow. And so we're going to take a deep dive into 
to that uh, because he's you know very very high. On it. I think there is some some positives to look at like the methylene blue um, in, incorporating that again. It's another manner of addressing the electron transport chain. Uh, if we're doing deuterium, we're cleaning it up with these antioxidants. Um, the other thing would be get them in the sun. I would have had him in the sun in the morning, uh, just constantly, uh, pretty much. And so, you know, here in Arkansas, we've got such a great degree of temperatures, right? Like it gets crazy hot and it gets pretty stinking cold. Not like, not like y'all's cold, but it gets pretty cold. And, but we just would have been in the cold. And I think, or, or we would have, well, we would have been in the cold, but we would have been in the sun. Uh, and just now that I've gone into, uh, Jack Cruz's work and understand melanin from another degree uh, is something wasn't on the radar, you know? Um, so would build up melanin, but it also take a deeper dive into copper. I think copper is so fundamental to the physiological aspects of human health and it's never talked about. And it's never talked about in the quantum space, which is something that I don't fully understand the disconnect there. Um, and I would love to y'all get y'all's opinion on that. But, you know, I've talked to like Sarah Pugh about it, uh, Morley Robbins. I've talked to a lot of people about it, and it's just still some sort of a disconnect. But I would have focused it back on how do we optimize the mitochondria. That would have been my, my sole, uh, you know, focused. And then would have paired that with some of these alternative modalities that are, are working. So fenbendazole, uh, it's a huge deal, and it works. Uh, I think that's also from the fungal component of cancer. But that, that would have been just kind of my focus right there. This episode is brought to you by Wyoming Based, my new apparel company that is focused on providing high-quality natural fiber-based products using 100% U.S. supply chains. Our first two products the 100% wool everyday beanie and 100% wool rib sweater are proudly made right here in Wyoming using local wool. The wool is low itch, high quality and durable, naturally antimicrobial and way better for your health and the health of the planet. If you want to support a local U.S. brand and are tired of supporting woke outdoors companies that shill plastics, Check us out at wyomingbase.com and pre-order your sweater and beanie today. Yeah, and that's a whole slew of great information and, I mean, great people to reference. I think it's really important distinction that you made in the beginning is that, you know, when you do have a diagnosis or terminal illness like this or some crazy health condition, everything is completely different. The urgency, the protocols, like this is a completely different scenario. Like you're saying, you know, this is when you would actually consider taking melatonin or methylene blue, like in a regular manner. And we talked to Deanna Minnick, who talked about like plant-based melatonin being um, better. And that, that might be an interesting conversation for you to have as well on your podcast. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a completely different scenario. And these are all, it's like, it's like the pyramid, right? It's like, you're, you're saying addressing it still from the diet, the lifestyle, the sun, the light perspective, but then you really need to think about the protocols that are going to like move the needle in the short term. So I think it makes sense. And, and people need to not conflate what to do when you have a chronic disease versus when you're just like feeling lethargic or, you know, chronic fatigue and chronic fatigue does precede chronic disease, yep. but still you need to think about 
the baseline foundation and um, something that I want to get your opinion about now and something I think about just hearing this 14 days cancer diagnosis and then two-year-olds like why do you think this is happening because the way I think about it from a mitochondrial perspective is really just the inheritance of heteroplasmy and just this passing down of, of really poor mitochondrial genetics and then the environmental factors whether it be during pregnancy, whether it be during, you know, those young ages of infancy in the hospital, what have you, this to me is a huge issue. And I think we're only going to see more and more of this, but, but how do you think about like, why was your son diagnosed with this at such an early age? Why is there a two-year-old who is already having a relapse of cancer? Like that's inconceivable if this conversation was happening, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Right. Um, I think you're spot on. That that's fundamentally what the problem is. But it's like, what are the the practical things that did that, right? So, uh, the for for us specifically, I can't I can't speak to the you know the the recent case we're talking about. But for for us, I know that I didn't know anything about health, right? Um, at, at at all. Um, did when Lander's mom was pregnant, we did what they told us to. You know, she got the all the vaccines they were supposed to have we were taking a, just a prenatal um so we had that going on i had built a, a tiny home before they were you know even cool uh and did the spray foam insulation and i feel pretty confident that those toxins from the the closed cell insulation had something to do with it um then lander when he was born he spit up really bad um did not wasn't wasn't much uh, breastfeeding. He spit up really bad, and that formula is complete and utter trash. I don't know if you've ever read the ingredients on formula, but it is absolutely horrible. So what did they tell us to do? Give him cereal. Get rice cereal. Thicken it up so it holds down, right? And when you look at that, we start seeing all these synthetic B vitamins that are absolutely trash on top of the trash that the formula is. So if you look at, like, a lot of the... Uh, uh, formula, the first ingredient is going to be some sort of a vegetable, right? Complete junk. And so the uh, genetic variation that I think everybody should at least be aware of, I don't think you should get all bent out of shape of it like like people tend to do, it's going to be the MTHFR. So this is a, a methylation of gene variation, which methylation controls all kinds of stuff in regards to DNA. But folic acid, in the context of that, will bind up the methylation pathways and absolutely make it not work, okay? So the folic acid for somebody with MTHFR is absolutely toxic. It's not good for anybody, but it's even worse for somebody that has this variation, especially if it's dirty. We were pumping him full of folic acid between these supplements, right? But the, the rice cereal in that is already having to deal with these toxins from what I did on a new construction. And, and so had a vaccine just like we were supposed to, uh, you know, and he had a reaction to where his bile was completely shut off in his liver and he pooped chalk white. So I was working EMS at the time. He pooped white. It's like literally just like a white, you know, poop. Start calling all, you know, the the doctor friends and stuff, and we're back into the uh, the pediatrician. Pediatrician surprisingly does turn it in as a vaccine reaction. Documented. This is no, you know, if, ands, or buts. It was a, uh, you know, DTAP vaccine reaction. So 
we've, we've got this going on. And, and as y'all know, the bile is so unbelievably important as far as being able to get our vitamins, our fat-soluble vitamins, minerals, to be able to then use them. So if we're not, we, we shut down bile production for how long? We really don't know that either. So you, you've got all of this going on, not a good diet, just continue living this standard American way, and then, uh, you know, fast forward, we've, we've got cancer. So I think it's a combination of things. I think it was it was all, all of that kind of together and the inability to detox. No, I totally agree. It's, it's funny because I have conversations with people about this sort of idea all day long, every day, that people really need to sort of go to a 50,000 foot view to understand that their problems didn't begin when symptoms started or when you got diagnosed with the cancer, like your problems started probably a long time before this. And that's why in retrospective, like in some cases you really should look at the full picture of like, what were you doing when you were like one, two, three, four, like, did you have a C-section baby? Like what was early life like? And even things like childhood trauma, like play an incredible role in like how your neural networks are formed and uh, how you develop certain uh, comp uh, compensation patterns like within coping and all of these things are super important and one thing that the food thing's hilarious I could go on it all day with like the baby formula and stuff and all the things that like I've been to multiple you get the picture and everyone that's listening gets the picture but um, one thing I'd love to ask is sort of like in that environment too like you're going to doctors all of these things like i just imagine the stress load not only on you guys is so high but on the child too how have you guys managed like just emotional stress or how have you thought about that as a component to this bigger picture because i think the physical aspect is one part but you can make it worse by the way you handle it emotionally. And I know that that's been extremely true for my own case and everyone I've personally worked with. How have you as a parent helped your child like through this instance on like an emotional level and, and yourself too, because it, it plagues everybody. Yeah. So yeah, Ron, that's a bit, that's a big deal, buddy. Um, so I remember sitting in the ER room and, uh, I was actually on the phone ordering pizza from a local place, and uh, I looked out in the hallway, you know, in those little doors, and they've got this little square rectangle of glass that you can see out just, just partially. And I saw a whole group of people in white coats standing there. I thought, oh, crap. Uh, so I said, I got to go. So I hung up, and here they came, this whole group of, of doctors. And they came in, and one, the lead doctor came, and he said, hey, uh, I got news. That's not good. Okay, well, gut punch one. He said, have you ever felt your son's stomach? No. And he said, come over here. He grabbed my hand and pushed on his ass. And he said, what do you feel? I said, something hard, right? So it's just this hard mass in his belly. And he said, this, it, it, it's a tumor. And, okay. So they go through. They say, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to admit you to 4K, that's oncology floor. And we are going to start running tests and figure out what we got going on. And so they left. And so I've got uh, my, uh, you know, my wife, my ex-wife, the uh, my mom, everybody is, is right right there, you know. And uh, one of the nurses uh, was, was a guy, and his name's Randy. And he said, come here. So we, he took me down the hall out to another room, and he said, let it out. He said, because when you 
get back in that room, you're going to have to be the rock for everybody and get through it. And so he just, he hugged me. You know, I didn't know this guy from Adam, but he, he was, you know, my guardian angel. Gave me a big hug. He said, it's, it's going to be all right. Just, we got to go to work. And so had had my little break down there, pulled myself together, went back. And that's that's just something that stuck with me right out of the gate. I just, I've never had a bigger gut punch in my life. And to have somebody just kind of reframe you, you know, just, just pull you out, reframe your mind, get it back together, go. So from that moment on, Lander never thought he was sick. I never thought let him feel like a victim. I never thought let him feel like, woe is me. I've got I, nothing. It's like everything we're going to do is to get better, to get stronger. So we got to do this, fill in the blank, just to get stronger. We got to do this to fit get get strong and healthy uh and then you know i'd go to the bathroom turn the shower on completely break down pull myself together go back there like we're just ready to fight more and so just over and over and over and one one thing that really stands out to me is, and this was kind of accidental uh, a friend had a grandson that that had like a costume kids party business where they would dress up and they go to these kids' birthday parties, but it was Superman. And they wanted to just do something for Lane. This was prior to the cancer diagnosis. And so they, they came out and did this elaborate little play to where we he uh, gave him this drink, this super drink, and then he Lander beat him in arm wrestling, okay? So he was so proud of himself that a five-year-old beat Spider-Man in arm wrestling. So that was something that we pulled to. It's like, dude, you're so strong. You beat Spider-Man in arm wrestling, man. And so he was just so proud and adamant that he was strong and everything was just getting better and getting stronger. So I think, you know, the point of saying all that is mindset is crucial and the, uh, that victim mentality, even in the face of absolute uh, just just heartbreak and catastrophe, it, it's just hey, what can we control? Focus on, execute on that, and and then do it again. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, you you got to hop off here now. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I got to pop off early. But I just wanted to say, like, like I I look forward to listening to the rest of this in post, but. I just want to say, like, that is, like, such a critical component. I tell everybody, like, if you don't believe it's going to happen, it won't happen. And I've known people that have gone through surgeries, had a completely successful, like, reconstruction or, like, an aortic valve put in, and they actually died because of just the depression associated with having gone through the surgery. So mindset's imperative, and I think, yeah, it's like, don't, I mean, I do this all the time. It's like the best thing you can do right away is if you get something is don't necessarily go into all the Facebook groups that are filled with despair because it'll bring you down. So I'll say that and then I'll pop off, but I'll listen to the rest of it later. Tristan, you're in good hands. So the rest of it will be great. I'm in good hands or Logan is, I don't know, but you're both yeah. in good hands. You got each other in the arms, <laughs> figuratively speaking. Well, yeah. And it's really important that I think Michael Amons posted yesterday or, or the, you know, this week on the placebo effect should not really be discounted as the most powerful drug. And, and what is the placebo effect? It's kind of like, you know, this self-will, this ability to heal. And if your body doesn't think that it can heal, it's not really going to be able to do that. And that gets into, yeah, this whole like cell danger response, which I don't know if you've ever read about that, but there's, you know, we have this whole like mechanism of defense and that goes way beyond the immune system. And if our body is just stuck in this negative feedback loop and we're in this hyper sympathetic state, 
um, you're not going to be doing much healing. You need to get out of there and you can do all the protocols you want. But I think if you're ultimately, like you said, kind of scared or, or really in a negative state that it's going to be an uphill battle, even, you know, you're going to be climbing Mount Everest versus climbing maybe something a, li a little bit more realistic to overcome. And kudos to you for, for taking that on, you know, because for your child, I can't imagine, you know, for how he was feeling in that moment, but you really took it on to, to bring him to a place that's of strength and of comfort and, you know, confidence. So that's incredible. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's just like inspiring. Now, how do you, how do you think about just the way you raise your family and educating them on these topics? Obviously, you know, you've had such a, I guess, deep involvement with health at an early age so how do you continue to proliferate that in their mindset and and really just raise them in in the best environment possible but want them to you know be empowered by this knowledge that you know really help them overcome such a you know important obstacle well by far parenting is the most difficult thing i've ever done <laughs> so i don't think there's any any beautiful little guidebook on to do it, especially when you're doing it in a contrary way. Uh, it, it's it's challenging. Uh, it's challenging uh, to be around people that don't get it, and they're they're eating a certain way or they're living a certain way. And you know, uh, the, the 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 lifestyle and the diet is very very challenging when that is so different that we do. But I think it's just be the example. Just be the example. We don't we don't really compromise on it. Uh, they 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 do not see me doing absolutely anything that uh, it goes against what I tell them that we're going to do. And so I think being the example and just participating in it. So I, like I cook, I cook all the time. Um, that's, that's just what they do. They see, they help, they eat what we eat. And so rarely do we go out occasionally we, you know, we do, but uh, it, it's, it's just got to live it and tell them, tell them why without preaching. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing because, because you can get shut down when you're you're just ha being harped on right but when you're you're actively participating in what it is and you understand why then, then it clicks yeah yeah that's the the beauty of trying to find that fine balance between education that's enjoyable and, and leading by example is, is huge i think so that's just you know anyone with a family you know it's it's hard I feel like it, it can be hard to reverse some things that maybe you've already, you know, entrained or exposed them to. But still, if you if you set that example, you know, your kids are like they're I mean, I watch my nephew all the time. He's he's a copycat. They're copycats. They just want to do what their parents do, especially their dad. Um, they just want to copy everything that you do. So if you're struggling to understand, you know, how, you know, to to really raise sovereign healthy children it starts with you now are you homeschooling unschooling how does that fit into the the duval family picture yeah so i've got four kids um so 10 to 3 uh the oldest two i do homeschool so they were with you know my first marriage um so i've got them homeschooled and uh, it it's a it's a whole nother dynamic, uh, you know, between homeschooling and running businesses and, and doing all that fun stuff uh, to try to make it work. But I think homeschooling might be the most eye-opening experience that I've had in how how messed up our education really is. Uh, it's 
it's very interesting to me how much time is wasted uh, through busy work or through forced structure to fill in the time between, you know, eight and three. Um, and so the kids learn different and they don't have to sit there and experience all of that wasted time under those artificial lights. So honestly, that was the biggest reason that I wanted to uh, homeschool them was to get them out of the environment. Uh, more so than than any of the other common reasons that I hear. Have you, so they were in school and then you pulled them out and and started. How how did their attitude? How did their you know behavior change once you started homeschooling? Was it significant? Yeah, uh, you know one negative is it's definitely less structured. So there's an an adjustment. But uh, you know Tristan, yesterday for example, there is a. Uh, one of our farming partners, she raises emus because she has alpha gal, and so they, uh, it, it's just big, big deal here in Arkansas. The alpha gal is like just popping up everywhere. But we we go to this emu farm, and I I print out all these lists of questions from uh, geography to you know we're naming landmarks, we're learning the county we're in, the, the towns. I'm just making a conscious effort to make it as educational as possible learning about the emus learning about why she's raising the emus learning about alpha gal the, the byproducts of a processed emu from the oil to the feathers to the you know they make bone broth and so on and on and on and it's just taking uh you know even math like trying to convert uh, if an emu weighs a hundred 20 pounds and it only produces 30 pounds of meat what's you know figuring out percentages and, and just doing simple math but based on something real and so I think it just gives you an opportunity to learn completely different and you know what really got my attention with when I interviewed Temple Grandin and she just has such an incredible mind with the, the autism focus and she's a you know PhD and she's got all of these uh, books that are just incredible to just take what you're doing in life and make it into a lesson that means something. Uh, so, you know, it's just, I, I think schooling can look way different than everybody has ingrained in their minds it should look like. Well, it's like you got boots on the ground. Like, it's it's the real world when you're immersing them in that. You know, this is what a business looks like. You know, help me try and understand if the math checks out. You know, marketing, you know, a farm stand, understanding how, you know, customer, uh, producer interactions go. Like, these are all, like, real-world examples, and, and you don't really get um, – that often in school i mean i know in rural communities that have like the the farming programs but still like where i went to school there's none of that and it's all just you know it's just simulated information and a lot of it it's just not really useful in the real world so i'm really curious to see kind of how this transition period goes i mean with everything even you know universities and colleges like how, how do you think about your children's future now because I mean, if I had a 10-year-old, I would probably be like, well, you don't need to go to college in eight years, probably. I mean, you can learn everything online. And I mean, look at you and I, how much we've learned in the past couple of years in, in terms of health and just by talking to people, by having a podcast, why, you know, a 16-year-old could do the exact same things and, and learn a tremendous, there's so much available. Do we really need structured universities for, for everyone? Obviously, you know, they'll have some role, but I'm curious on your take. I agree wholeheartedly. I think I've, I've learned uh, so much outside of school. Um, and I'm not bashing. I think there's great people in schools. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the whole 
school system uh, by any means. But, you know, Tristan, to be able to have a question on hydrogen and to be able to email Lazarus and have him explain it is better than any high school or college science professor ever, right? Oh, like, yeah. And so to be able to – I don't know if you read the book Third Door. It had a huge impact on me just in reframing the way at which we access things or act try to uh, attain goals. And so honestly, the podcast is the most selfish thing I think I've ever done in my life. And that's simply, to, it, it's a reason for people to talk to me, right? You know, and it, it just, learning doesn't have to look like everybody thinks it does. And, and we have the opportunity to connect with people because of this technology, you know, the good side of the technology uh, and learn and apply these things and go, go in the, the path that feels right because um, there's a lot of stuff I don't care about learning about that I could, but I do care about the health and the agriculture and, and just uh, implementing those things. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I got out of school and I was like, what are the most important things like in life um, health, which encompasses our food system and then like wealth. So that's why I was like, well, I want to learn about these things and I want to learn about them from, you know, sources that are, you know, people have their, their foot through the door in these innovative, the most innovative spaces are questioning authority that, and they're really like pushing a frontier forward. And that's, you know, where I ended up. It's, it's interesting, but maybe getting back to the regenerative ag and, and the community piece, because that's where I feel like you have such an expertise and you are building community. It's something that I found and I think is actually probably the most important aspect of all of this is the community because you can be a sovereign individual, but if you're an individual, you're not going to accomplish much. And that's why I think, you know, everything that we do and you do, um, this collective momentum forward is, is so important. So how have you found trying to educate people, try and proliferate this movement, whether that's through regenerative agriculture, whether that's through health, whether it's education on environmental toxins like glyphosate, for example. How have you like felt this reception and what has been successful for you at a local community level in Arkansas? So the the big thing is that I've learned is you cannot make anybody do anything and you can't get somebody to listen to you unless they care. Uh, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And so uh, I don't think it's that we need a bigger microphone, right? Well, I don't think it's that we need to be louder, so to speak. I think that it's about, we need to meet people where they are. Uh, and that that's what you, you do. You've got to do it in a way that there's awareness behind the message, right? Everybody can like ping on, Oh, wow. I know they're talking about, health right i don't know what they're talking about in health but i know that it's health right or it's cancer or it's farming and then meeting people where they are it's just like you know people will come that it's a cancer diagnosis now they're hurting they want to learn they want to listen that's when you can make a real impact is because they want it uh you know we when in the documentary that we shot down at white oak with with will uh will was pretty uh kind of down on the movement being something that's going to change the world he said i don't know he said, I don't know if this is going to catch on. I don't, I don't live my life and run my business as this is going to blow up and take over the world. He said, because some 
people you're just never going to reach. And I said, and I don't, to, so to my point in that was just like, you're not going to reach anybody until it hurts, right? It hurt bad enough for me to wake up and pay attention when my son had cancer. For somebody else, it might be a concussion. For somebody else, it could be just the, the fatigue or an autoimmune, just whatever it is, meet them where they are and, and bring it. Um, so through the business side, what we do is simply just try to take care of people. Like I want to, I want to create an environment where people come out, they feel good, they have been treated well. We've asked them questions. You know, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence uh, People by Dale Carnegie, I think is the greatest business book, hands down, that has ever been written. And it's simply on interacting with people and uh, being able to have a conversation and care and listen to them, right? And just provide a service. I think business is way easier than people try to make it out to on, on that smaller scale. But, you know, Tristan, it's just about the community comes from one thing, relationship. Mm-hmm. So foster the relationship. Yeah, it's, and so is business, like you said. It's, it's. I mean, that's what I've realized. And I do a lot of different things now, probably too many different things. But the only reason I'm half good at any of them, I think, is just because I, the people I talk to, you know, are interested to talk to me. And that's a relationship that comes from showing interest in their life, showing that you care about them being enthusiastic in conversation, like, you know, pumping them up when they need support and, and vice versa. It's it's everything. And on a local level, something, you know, here in Wyoming, every time I go out in public or I'm at the hot springs or whatever, it's just like you always, you know, it goes a long way to just be friendly, to be, you know, asking, hi, how are you? How's your day going? Like, how you been doing today? Great weather, like stoked about the sun. You know, if you just carry this energy about you, which is easier when you have like your health and you know you're inspired and you have good energy levels but even if you're not like that could lift up someone else's day and then they're going to remember that they're going to be like hmm maybe this crazy guy who's jumping in the river and it's 10 degrees out maybe I should go talk to him and ask him why he does that cuz i found the same thing man i mean people are not and you you realize this when you try and convince like your parents or, or your friends to do something. They're the last people who are yeah. like going to listen to you. But, you know, eventually you just got to go back to what we were saying earlier. If you just lead by example and you live kind of like a really, you know, open, high energy life that's, you know, caring for people in the day to day conversation, they're eventually going to come around and be interested in, in what you're doing. And, you can't force it upon people because the moment you do that, you're projecting and you're like saying, I know more than you. You need to do this. And it just it just doesn't work, man. But is is it a damn challenge? It is. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. You know, my, one of my favorite quotes of my Angelou is that people will forget what you say. People will forget what you do, but they will never forget how you make them feel. And mm. that is is such a beautiful uh, lesson to to live by. And to to tie in what we're talking about with the relationships to the agriculture, I think too often relationships are based off of what I can get from you, right? Yes. It's it's a mining. It's it's the same thing with ag. If we're constantly just taking and taking and taking, eventually the system breaks down. Eventually the relationship breaks down. And so it's got to be a a building. It's got to be a a a net positive for everybody involved, or the relationship doesn't work and I, so i think that's the other thing is the too too often i see entrepreneurs that are simply just trying to make that sell right i got i just want your sale it's not about serving it's not about adding value it's about making the money so you can say 
whatever goal has been attained. And so it is, I think relationships and uh, building them and strengthening them are vital. So speaking about the regenerative agriculture space, you know, you've interviewed probably most of the experts you you've been in this like hands-on do you see movement you know will harris is saying i don't know if it's going to catch on but it's it's clearly catching on to some degree but i asked rob wolf about this the other week it's like how how successful do you think this regenerative agriculture movement has been so far and what do you think needs to happen to really you know crank it up to the next level and is this something that is ever going to be you know quote unquote scalable and the whole country or most of the country will be practicing do you think that'll ever be a reality i think it it's completely dependent on the pendulum so i think that to the degree at which it increased was equal to the degree of the problems through the pandemic that happened i think that pendulum mm-hmm. was here and it came to there that's the only reason that it's moved to where it is now and so i think when people are complacent it will not improve when things get worse and we have to find solutions it will improve so unfortunately uh, i think the worse it gets the more it will go if that makes any sense yeah it's um yeah it's like you said people you know they needed a reason to like care about this stuff and oh the grocery stores are were empty what, what the hell do I do about my food? Maybe I should learn where my food comes from and go shake my rancher or farmer's hand, which is good. Like, I think COVID, COVID's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's been the best thing probably that's happened to, like, society because I think it did expose a lot of things and it made a lot of people wake up. Um, however, is that going to continue? Is there enough momentum for this to keep going? Uh, we don't really know, but I think... What I think about all these things is like if you just have alternatives, like if there's an opt out for people, that's the most important thing. And how large that alternative becomes, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, but it it, it needs to happen at least at some scale to give people an alternative. Because if they don't, they're just going to keep going to the grocery store and buying beef they're going to keep wearing polyester clothes and they're going to keep you know if blue light blockers and different types of lighting technology wasn't a thing they're just going to keep doing the same exact thing because there's no option you know and that's the way i think about you at least have to present hey this is an alternative that's better maybe it costs 10 percent more but you get a, a much better benefit for your health for example and food security anything so that's how I think about it, but I don't really know if it's ever going to get to that level. And I don't really know if it needs to get to the level of like mass adoption. And there's been many people on the podcast is saying like, yeah, it's probably a lost cause to think that the majority of society is ever going to just be on board with our thinking. It's just not how it's going to go. And that's an unfortunate reality. But if we build kind of this like alternative system, that's not reliant at all on the main system that's still pretty damn good yeah i, th- I think that it's uh without getting like overly philosophical here um uh, i th- i think it's it's going to be the ones that are applying those principles that are going to uh survive and their lineages are going to survive so i think it will uh it will win out uh it just is probably going to take a lot longer but i mean you look at a lot of like 
uh, who's is it? Uh, Jared Diamond's work, Collapse. Uh, uh, it, I mean, it, he's got some incredible books about how society has changed and, and certain ones have, you know, disappeared or failed. Uh, it's it's going to be the ones that apply and that are strong are going to be left. The ones that aren't are going to suffer and, and probably not. I mean, just look at the fertility rates of the world. and uh, I mean, it, it's, it's happening, whether people want to admit it or not. It's almost like a natural balancing mechanism, isn't it? I mean, like he's saying, with the fertility, that's I, and I've talked about this at length. And, you know, eventually the only people who are going to be able to have children are going to be us. Like it's going to be people who are extremely deliberate about their health. And that might sound a bit cynical, but I mean, it's literally the truth. And yeah, that's why I think these next two, three generations are going to be this just interesting transition period. But we're going to, you know, people look back and we're going to be the ones that really, you know, spearheaded this. And that's what's so cool and important about what we do. Well, I think I, I just I appreciate uh, the effort because I know what it takes to put things out there. And like, I just have so much respect for you and Ryan. You know, Max Golhain and, and you know Zay. I, I think the y'all y'all really come to mind in that uh, we're relatively close in age. We're relatively uh, you know equally passionate about the same things and and just putting putting it out there and pushing it. You know, on different platforms. I think that's another thing that's super cool. Like I I'm, I just got X or Twitter uh, this year or like at the end of last. Like I'm, I'm brand new to it. Um, but you know we got the YouTube, we got Facebook, we've got so many means uh, podcasts to 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 get the message out. And I just think it goes back to that relationship piece and, and the network I was talking about. So the tighter we can get and to, to serve and collaborate, and like you, you understand the electrical aspects more than I ever will already. And so you've been such an invaluable resource for me to learn. And, you know, Max comes at the agriculture from a completely different, it's beautiful. And I love, I love when the three of us get to interview the same person because we all come from a different angle and we get to learn more based off of, you know, the responses in that conversation. So I think the network and that community is of the utmost importance. Yeah. You you remind me a lot of like Brett and Harry from the meat mafia, because you don't look anything, look at any of this as like a competition. You're like, Oh, I just talked to like Dr. Cow and Tristan, like you need to go talk to him. Like, you'll have an incredible part. like, And that's really what's so important about this is like, yeah, it's not a competition at all. It's really, we all have different angles. We have different audiences, different platforms, and there couldn't be enough of this information out there. I mean, like yeah. how many Jack Cruz interviews are there? And, you know, there's so many good ones and they're all different. And you all, you know, you learn something new every time because he says it, you know, he's just pulling stuff out of his brain that you don't even know when you're going to get a little Easter egg. And it depends on the person interviewing him. And that goes with, with everybody, with Lazla, with, Doc, you know, Stephanie Seneff. And, and it's, it's just fun to think about it in that way. But what maybe just a fun recap, you know, what, what have been your favorite podcast episodes and, you know, the ones where you really like learn the most, um, maybe ones that were unexpectedly eye-opening or really change your entire frame of reference on a certain topic a roundabout way of answering the question Kristen. it is the combination of jack cruz morley robbins and lazla boris when you put the three of them uh their, their messages together they bring up these little different perspectives but in my opinion 
it makes so much sense and it's so uh, more complimentary than I think any of the three would ever, you know, admit. Um, and I think it's just absolutely incredible. I think they are three absolutely brilliant men that have figured out things that mainstream is not willing or ready to even embrace, but they all go together. And, you know, you think about back to, you know, I was talking to you before I did uh, the interview with, with Dr. Cruz. And I was like, dude, I'm not ready. Like, I know I'm not ready to have this conversation, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, you, you just have to try to learn and piece it together. But uh, there's, the, that light water magnetism is spot on, but that honestly, in my opinion and my experience, Tristan is no different than what Laszlo and Morley uh, are saying either. So I, I think to answer your question, those three together are so, so incredible uh, in how those messages fit. Yeah, it really, and what I like about, you know, you and Max is you guys do take a holistic approach to everything because it's like, I think there's a danger in the health space when people get, you know, they get very niche in their, in their platform and their speech. And, and people just need to understand that, like, that's because that's what they know the most about. Like, I talk about EMFs because that's like what I know the most about, but I still always try and say, like, it's everything in our environment. You know, it's our light. Um, EMFs, toxins, food, you know, everything. It's, it's all encompassing. And when you talk to experts from each realm, yeah, some things may be more important than others in slight priority, but they all matter. And we live in this toxic soup world. And, and that's, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, like that's why we're seeing these crazy terminal or chronic diseases at, at young ages, I think. So yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the holistic lens and being able to communicate that to an audience tremendously. Artificial blue light from technology is destroying our health. It disrupts melatonin production, sleep quality, and our circadian rhythms, which has been linked to pretty much all chronic disease. It also rewires our dopamine reward system, which makes it addictive by design. That is why I'm so thankful to have found the Daylight Computer, the first company in the world making a computer that has a blue light free screen. They use paper reflective screen technology, so it's blue light free, flicker free, eye strain free, and is easily used outdoors so you can use technology while getting the benefits of full spectrum sunlight. For more information, you can listen to our recent podcast with the founder of Daylight Computer, Anjan, on his incredibly inspiring story on why he wants to bring technology to the masses that is not detrimental to our health. You can go to buy.daylightcomputer.com slash dradio to pre-order the Daylight tablet today and begin using your technology in a fashion that's way more in line with our biology and nature. Man, there's so many good people. I think way too often we get uh, in this super divisive uh, mode through social media where we're fighting and everybody's pissed off at everybody else if they disagree or whatever. It's like, man, life is way too short. Let's just figure out what's what's actually working and you know, cleave off if it's if it doesn't. You know, it doesn't make sense. So. I just think we're such a polarized world. It doesn't have to be that way. Again, it goes back to that network, that community I was saying. Like, I don't, uh, man, I just can't remember any time that I have seen you or Max attack anybody. 
right? I, I like, think you can I, disagree. I, I, yeah, yeah. Maybe like once I've 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 kind of called out a couple of people in the past month because I I don't like seeing absolute statements online. I don't like saying like fasting is bad, like cold plunging is bad, like poofas are bad. To me, it's all about context, and sure. none of those things are inherently bad. So it's not really attacking people. It's more so I just want yeah I just want the truth to be able to come forward so if you just did not it's like anything red meat is bad or like whatever is bad you can't just like make these statements like obviously if something is purely toxic like glyphosate yes this is a carcinogen this is a different story but yeah, yeah there's there's too much there's too many very like statements like that that people make and again it's it's the same thing it's like diet doesn't matter or light doesn't matter you know it all matters it's all, all matters. about context and that, and that's, that's just like how it comes down to everything. It's like, we're all like in unique situations. Like who knows what was like the number one cause of your son's diagnosis. It doesn't matter now, but what matters is that you, you know, got through that and you have such a knowledge base now to overcome that. And yeah, I mean, imagine it's like me with my, you know, concussion. It's like, if that didn't happen, my life might be, I might still be drinking on the weekends and working like an average nine to five. Like, who knows? Absolutely. Uh, there's just, uh, there's so much to be excited for. I have so much hope, especially the, the more I've got to know you and, and, and the others. Uh, it's just, it's just exciting. It just, I feel, I feel like the kids have hope for their future. Uh, where I, I honestly, brother, I didn't, uh, you know, even just five years ago. Yeah, I didn't even know what was going on. I was so like blinded by just being an idiot college student. But what do you um what do you think needs to happen? Like what do we need to do in this space to reach a broader audience, to impact people deeper? You know, I like to think we just need to keep doing what we're doing, but I really, really want to work towards a place of like more in person localized events and that's why i love what you're doing you know you're in bluffton you're making documentary like showcasing i mean that's relatively in your region i i I would love to connect with more people on like an individual basis but it's a challenge so i'm curious what your take is on on how we can grow this together Uh, i think the number one thing we can do is to foster entrepreneurship in the space I think that mm. that is the best way to reach people is by serving them, uh, by providing a solution uh, for whatever their problem is. And so if we can bring, and that's, that's, that's a huge reason why I bring in so many farmers to the podcast and then we turn around and we're talking about you know something with quantum uh, biology, right? We're, we're bringing this together because those farmers need to be aware of this other side of it. Right, like they do, and in all of us, and that's why I try to get like carnivores to understand regenerative agriculture and bring that together. Because it's if if the carnivore movement only supported regenerative ag, what would happen? Well, I mean, it would skyrocket in popularity, right? So if we honed in on the things that yeah. have that biggest impact, right? So to teach carnivores about regenerative agriculture is a much better use of time and effort, in mm-hmm. my opinion, than trying to convert the masses, right? Because carnivores are already questioning things. And so I think the thing, the same thing goes along the lines of like Bitcoiners. They're already questioning, yep. right? They're already saying, this is not right. Um, 
So I think that the ones that the the demographics that are more open to it, it's about strengthening that why uh, and not preaching to it, not shoving it down their throat, just being a service through entrepreneurship. That's, you know, whether that's, you know, the computer stuff you're working on, it's phenomenal. That's, that's, what, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Or the, the farmers getting better at uh, the logistics or the processing, like what Jake Wolke's doing. That's, mm-hmm. That kind of thing is what will move the needle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and that's kind of been my mission is like, yeah, I kind of gave up on trying to orange pill or, or health pill the average person, right? It's just, it's not going to happen, like, until it needs to happen. So, but if you take a Bitcoiner who's like, maybe they're already cutting out seed oils and it's like, all right, well, let me show you about this and this. And, and again, it's like subtle nudges, I think is, is important. But like you said, like fostering an environment for entrepreneurship and, and getting that message out there, like getting everyone in the health space to like accept Bitcoin for payment or, you know, getting regenerative farmers to accept Bitcoin. And, and that's been a successful relationship, or at least in some capacity. And yeah, I think that's that's a great point. And we just have to see, I think, as well, like what Wolke's doing in Australia. OK, or like what Max might be doing down there, like can we emulate that sort of success here? Like, what are they doing? And being collaborative on a, you know, a, a scale internationally. And then, yeah, same thing. If, if you have, have an event in Arkansas that's really successful, oh, maybe I could do something similar here in, in Wyoming. I think that's a good way to just collaborate and, like you said, kind of touch the right people that are ripe for the, you know, conversion and ripe for the, you know, opening of their horizons. Yeah. You know, one one more thing on on that is that we're talking about the message, right? The message that we're all preaching uh, or or living or very passionate about. Uh, the thing to always remember, and it's I, I won't I won't say names on this one, but it was after an interview. My producer was just shaking his head. I'm like, what? He's like, the messenger is as important as the message, and that is something that's really stuck with me and uh if we want to reach somebody it goes back to everything we were talking about with you know the dale carnegie stuff you you treat them right you build a relationship where there's trust and stuff and you you don't just like crow hop you know it's never going to change anybody yeah well that's why i think we need to be a conduit for like uncle jack's message because you know there's him and a few other people oh yeah it's just like the reality of it right and you know not everyone is a, a is gonna be like that person but the information wherever the source is like that's invaluable and that's why these podcast platforms are so great because we can give kind of a nice you know unpolarized plat you know way for people to communicate and then we have that information and we can spread that word to you know our our audience and and that's why i just love the multidisciplinary approach to things uh-huh. right like when i found you and i found like max i was like wow like because when we started decentralized radio i was like there's nobody who's talking about like both of these things i mean there's still you guys aren't heavy on the bitcoin front but still like it's it's really impressive and there's three of us, right? Like nobody, nobody else, nobody else is talking, you know, there's, there's regenerative ag, there's farming podcasts, there's plenty of health podcasts, there's plenty, plenty of Bitcoin podcasts, but there's not a lot of people doing multiple disciplines. And this is something I've pr- prided myself on my whole life is being well-rounded. And yeah. I just think 
in 2024, this is the most important thing, right? Like, and you realize that as a father, as someone who's homeschooling, like how, how important is it for you to be well-rounded? So important. And I don't, that's kind of why I started this whole conversation with giving that little small town grew up, saw the demise of it, and then the real estate, petroleum technology, EMS. And, you know, I grew up with one grandpa was raising uh, broiler chickens for Tyson. So I grew up in that world too. And we roofed. So we, you know, did construction. So being well-rounded, even in these, uh, you know, the, the jobs is so important too, because it exposes you to such different degrees of life. And so being well-rounded, uh, you know, I used to, I, I've gone back and forth, you know, the uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Like I used to, I, I don't know how I fully feel about that almost is an insult, but on the other hand, it's like, you've got to be balanced. Um, so there's, I think if you're well-rounded in topics that are complementary and they, they improve your life, it's extremely important. But, you know, being, being a, uh, like I used to be, uh, being able to know the roster of every football team in the NFL. And then, uh, you know, I knew the sticker price of every stock on, on NASDAQ, you know, like that, that's irrelevant. It doesn't freaking matter. Right. But like understanding how the body works and how to make money and provide for your family. So to, you know, to ramble a little bit, it's like just the stuff that matters, you need to be really, really well rounded. Yeah. And that's what I said earlier, right? Like health and wealth and food, you know, that's all It's a great place to start. And, you know, learning about your environment but i i agree and and that quote like the jack of all trades master of none i'm pretty sure that the second half of that is still like it's often better than a master of one right so it's yeah. like because yeah. i was i remember someone saying that to me and i was like yeah but like especially in 2024 like you can't outsource the quality of any service now like you you need to be on top of your shit and that's like the yeah. byproduct of of a fiat economy i think you know, it'd be nice if I could just, you know, trust someone to, you know, be in charge of my finances, for example. But nobody could ever be more knowledgeable about your own health than you. I mean, it's your body. Like, how how could you ever outsource that? So I agree. I mean, like, if, if you're going to get passionate and crazy and learn about some stuff, like, at least make it, like, high ROI to your life. Like, these yeah. these are really, really important. But maybe, maybe last last little thing here sewing prosperity you guys have put out some great podcasts but now are doing you know you made a documentary with will what is what is the goal for for your channel and what what do you got cooking for for 2024 what's what's the vision for sewing prosperity and and what are your big things that you're working on this year so people can get excited about it and check you guys out i want to i really want to just keep hammering in with incredible Yes, just sharing the knowledge, um, and then I want to continue to, uh, as we apply, be able to, you know, package the uh, the information where it's easier. So, you know, I, I've got a, I, I'm way past due writing my uh, second edition to to the book, but the, so Father's Heart was the first book, but man, I've learned so much, and I've been so hesitant about revising it yet because the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't understand it all, and then how much you would change going back. So it's like, and just every day, it's like, well, I, I'm just not ready. So just continue to create life-altering, life-improving content, uh, and and just just help help people. But I, I seriously 
think that the entrepreneurial side is how we expand this to just become more decentralized and stuff. So looking at uh, you're really kind of ramping up that Selling Prosperity Institute on on the entrepreneur side. Uh, it, it's uh, I think that's what pays dividends uh, for the long term. I love it. How do you balance learning and creating? Because this is a challenge for me. Um, you have all these books behind you. You clearly do your homework on guests, but you know it's tough to fit it into the schedule. And I've been trying to be more deliberate about you know reading X amount and per day or research papers. So, so how do you do it? Do you have a system, or do you kind of block off time, or yeah, what's what's your? Yeah, there's nothing that most important thing is mentors uh, for whatever mm. it is you're trying to learn. Um, so if it is, how do I become more effective? Get an effective coach, all right? What, whatever context that means. Uh, so uh, John Lee Dumas was pretty pretty instrumental early on in my uh, self-education, right? So Entrepreneurs on Fire is his podcast. He's definitely one of the, the OGs in that space. But, you know, I learned a lot of lessons from, from JLD. And he was actually one of my very first podcast guests years ago. And just finding somebody that is where you want to be in whatever if it's jujitsu if it's bitcoin if it's farming just getting somebody as a mentor that can speed up that learning process so the way i do it is it in batches um it's it, it's in batches of how do you get this problem solved bring in somebody to coach you through it apply it hopefully it sticks then teach it to somebody else that's where that's where the magic happens i think is teaching oh yeah that's so true like i think that's such a great point is once you can once you can formulate it in your head and again there's there's different levels you know listening to something versus reading something on a screen versus writing it down and then yeah teaching is like the culmination of all that and that really resonates in your mind when you do that i've certainly realized that but it's uh yeah the mentorship as well that's great that's a good point um it's it's challenging for me sometimes because i feel like i'm reading you know i need robert obecker to come back to life to like ask him questions but um there there's some folks out there right that there's always someone out there that has a vast amount of knowledge to tap yeah. into and you just got to find them and that's the fun part about this talk pod, the podcast is we can go on like these easter egg hunts to find especially the researchers like they don't have big social media followings but you know there's so many people to talk to it's really so exciting um yeah so if people don't already know where can they find everything that you're doing and everything that you have done like your book for example yeah, so I, I own the little farmer's market that I own with, with uh, my mother is, is my business partner. It's me and McGee Market, uh, and that's just North Little Rock. So that's, that's kind of what really launched it. Uh, so North Little Rock, Arkansas, right here in the middle. Of, uh, Facebook's kind of the primary means of which I use there. But the Sowing Prosperity and then Logan Duval, that's uh, the book, uh, Father's Heart. Uh, it's a little dated now for sure, but uh, the the podcast is on all the platforms. YouTube has done done pretty solid. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, man, just just continue to learn and, and just help just help others. Appreciate you so much, Logan. This has been a pleasure, and yeah, we'll we'll definitely stay in touch and hopefully connect in person one day. That'd be fun. Absolutely, absolutely better. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.